but one of the things about secret stockpiles, right, it's that this is all great military technology, but can you commercialize it? Because that's where you really become something. You know, like you can be a, a niche military supplier and you can make, you can eke out a good living for yourself like that. But one of the like questions about Palantir specifically was always like, okay, you guys have all these government contracts, but can you get into the commercial space? And now you're seeing AI get there too. All right, here we are again, the Angel Research Podcast with another Jason. We only talk to Jasons <laughs> on this podcast. It's just Jason after Jason after Jason. But this Jason is Jason Simpkins, editor of Secret Stock Files. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I always love being here. Yeah, you're. Uh, I like listening to your oh, thank you. to your thoughts. Okay. I like listening to everybody. I don't want anybody to feel slighted, but I particularly enjoy. Well, the comment on one of our videos said that uh, Stutman was their favorite Jason. I saw that, and that yeah. was hurtful. Whoever that was, like no. And then we so we fired. Jason <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so let's jump it. I don't know exactly where we start. We were talking, but today, so today is June first. Okay. So supposedly there's a debt ceiling deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a deal. I don't know. It's, it hasn't gone through. Have you followed that at all? Uh, from a distance, because I think uh, like a lot of people, I've kind of really lost patience with this kind of. It's a lot of political theater. It's a lot of, and it's like in the best case scenario, you're threatening to default on our debt and just basically crash the economy out of spite, or you know, in the other scenario, you're just doing this to grandstand and extract, you know, whatever little bit of, you know, policy gains you can get out of it. Uh, I did see it. It didn't look like much, you know, it was, it was like cut back on SNAP, on food stamps and, uh, you know, cap spending at, at 2022 levels for a year. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, it, it doesn't really move the needle. Yeah. It was just another um, kick the can down the road scenario till likely after the next election. And um, so I guess, hey, if it goes through, the one thing, though, that they did not cut, which obviously we want to talk about, is military spending. Yeah, you noticed that, did you? Yeah. 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 That's a big thing. There's no debt ceiling for the defense budget. Uh, I think it is – it's probably not going to grow as fast because whenever you get into these kind of – hard spending negotiations and it becomes public discourse and you you make what the United States government is spending the central issue, then defense spending is going to naturally become a target because it is at a record high. It is the the Biden budget proposal was for something like $858 billion, uh, and it's probably going to be more than that. Typically, Congress will actually add money to the president's Pentagon outlay. Uh, so it was definitely going to get up near $900 billion. And the past few times I've been on here, I've been saying, you know, we're going to hit a trillion-dollar defense budget, and we are. Uh, With this, it may just take a year or two longer than I initially expected. I expected that whoever wins the next election, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or some other contender that comes out of here, is that that first year they're going to be the one to unload that trillion-dollar defense budget because they're going to come out, they're going to be – you know, if it's Republicans are always really big on defense, you know, uh, Democrats are a lot of them are quieter about it, but they will obviously give just a tacit approval for it. And this is something I've talked about before. 
But the key thing you have to remember is that the defense industry is obviously enormous, and it's all over the country. So, like, Boeing's in Seattle, Washington, right? So blue states have these giant, you know, facilities, whether it is Lockheed Martin here in Maryland, blue state. We have a lot of defense contractors here. Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman, for example. So you have all these jobs that are tied into the defense industry, and there is an entire supply chain that, you know, basically fills out this entire thing. It's almost like the auto supply chain, you know, goes down to parts suppliers all the way up to retailers and, and you know, uh, car dealerships. Well, the military is kind of the same way. You've got these big, sprawling apparatuses that ha- have a lot of people. They have their own bureaucracy. They have their own specialization, certain niches. You know, you need people with clearance and stuff like that. You know, there are scientists. There are all these things. There are sales reps that go out and convince the government that you should buy these products from this, from Raytheon or Lockheed Martin or whatever. They also obviously have a very powerful lobbying. Uh, so, you know, it's, that's, there's not a lot of bipartisanship that you're going to find in Washington. Defense spending is one of the areas where both parties generally agree, save a few people on, especially on the left side in particular, uh, that are going to come out and say, well, the defense budget's too high. That's where you get to, like, the Bernie Sanders, AOC, uh, that kind of flank of the party. They're, they're never going to be happy with defense spending as high as it is. But literally everyone else is more than, more than happy to have defense spending at an extremely high level. Yeah, they don't want to be seen as soft on defending their country. Sure. It just gives too much ammo it's to... It's incredibly easy for a politician because, one, like, if you go, I'm going to cut defense spending, well, don't you care about the troops? Do you not Do you not want the war fighters that have the most advanced, most lethal, most, you know, protective gear that they can have? Yeah, they're writing images of soldiers going into battlefield wearing, like, plastic bags as yeah. armor. And... I mean, you know, and the other thing, it's an easy sale ge- uh, geopolitically because, like, Russia's invading Ukraine. So China is constantly looming over Taiwan. We all know that there's this countdown to China invading Taiwan. We know they're going to do it. And so it's really hard to look at that world and go, well, let's cut defense spending. No, no. I mean, it was an easier sell 20 years ago when we're invading Iraq or whatever, and we've got our own unpopular war going on. But when you've got countries out there like Ukraine fighting for their lives, fighting for their existence, uh, when you've got these autocracies in Russia and China, you know, coming out and, you know, just in a blatant effort, just explicitly saying they're going to rewrite the world order. And they've made it their main mission to topple U.S. hegemony and turn over the global order in a way that is more favorable to them so that they can do what they want. Well, I don't know how you cut defense spending in that environment. I just don't know how you do it. Yeah, and there's so much that goes into what you might consider defense right now. Uh, all of the cyber, you know, you have the whole like cyber war sure. side of things, not just the traditional, you know, guns, bullets, tanks, planes and stuff, but all of that infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we, you know, there are thousands of cyber attacks <clears throat> the world over every day, you know, and there adversaries like China are constantly trying to hack into government, government computers, are constantly trying to hack into defense contractors. I mean, and you can see the kind of ingenuity of it when they're flying 
you know, Buick-sized air balloons over our country, like, that's how far they're willing to go. Like, you know, that's how blatant they'll be about it. The, you don't really hear too much about the balloon stuff anymore. People <laughs> just kind of lost interest, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was sort of like the balloon boy. You know, it comes up, and it's like a big thing when it happens, and then, you know, we're on to the next thing. Now we got to talk about the debt ceiling for three months or whatever. <laughs> like, we can't talk about China floating giant balloons over Yeah, the they're country. like, no, 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 don't worry you about know, that. You know, it happened. It captivated us all for two days snl did a skit about it and then we are on to the next thing because you know that's that's just you know the media that's just americans attention span you know it's people yes. forgot the balloon thing until i just brought it up just yeah. now they're like oh yeah the balloon thing oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just balloon. <laughs> so speaking of attention um last i guess it wasn't last week the week prior there was a 60 minutes piece mm-hmm. on military i guess you would call it price gouging yeah so, it, and I mean, that kind of plays into what you're talking about is these, it, it was kind of funny to like see members of the government just sort of like complaining about Absolutely. <laughs> I these companies and it's like you, but like you put yourself into this position yes. and it's like, I don't see how that's anything new. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, there's a few things. Like I said, I laughed out loud at that. Because one, we were just talking about the debt ceiling, and I don't think it's a coincidence that someone basically from the Biden administration leaked this thing about military like price gouging and defense contractors and defense budget right at the time where we're talking about spending cuts. Like, okay, yeah, sure, this is just a coincidence. This is coming up now. Uh, but it made me laugh also just because, like, uh, would you say that in your personal life over the past few months or years you went into a store and didn't feel like you were being price gouged i mean like you go out to dinner and you look at the menu prices or you know you go to the grocery store you look at your energy bill i feel like i'm getting price gouged every day and for the government that didn't really seem like a problem for them you know because and this goes back to 2020 and i was furious about this for at least two years that's how long i was on this tangent because when the pandemic first hit, all the government wanted to talk about was how, like, oh, man, prices are so low. We're, we're hitting a period. Of, we're, we're actually worried about deflation, you know? And I was like, are you serious? Because I'd go to the grocery store and my bill was, like, two or three times higher than it normally was. I'm like, these prices are going up, not down. And for that whole year, for all of 2020, it was just like, no, it, inflation is flat at best. It's maybe up 0.1%, like, if anything. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's higher than that. I wrote whole articles in the Outsider Club about it's actually higher than what the government's reporting. The next year comes around, and they're like, oh, yeah, prices do seem to be going up, don't they? But don't worry, it's transitory. And then they spent an entire year telling us, oh, no, 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 it's just it's just a blip. Like, it's just that prices were so low during the pandemic. They weren't. But they were so low during the, the pandemic that now the comparables, the year-over-year comparables look high. But it's really not that bad, and it's going to be gone before you know it. You're all just alarmist. Well, they were, they were blaming the lack of supply. Oh, it's because supply the lack chain of supply. Issues. Yeah. We'll get that sorted out now that we're post-pandemic. All of this stuff. And that ended up being bullshit too, right? So the next thing they went to after that, they started blaming us. They go, yeah, okay, inflation's gotten out of control, but the problem is wages are too high. You guys, you're making too much money. That's the issue. You, you, The Americans are out here, you know, unemployment's too low. What we're going to have to do is have the Fed raise rates. So to not put some of you out on the street and suppress wages, because that's the problem with inflation. 
And then this happens. We've got a guy in the government come out and go, man, can you believe the price gouging? Can you believe that Raytheon is overcharging us on parts and labor? Like, it just, it happened to us. Like, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine why. And what you said about them doing it to themselves is entirely accurate. Because for decades, for decades, the government supported efforts in the industrial, you know, in the defense among defense contractors to consolidate. They pushed industry consolidation. And this has been a challenge for me as a defense stock analyst for a long time. It's taken me a long time to be able to dig in and find companies that supply the bigger companies. Because you know our defense sector is dominated by five, maybe six defense contractors. You know, you're looking at Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, and General Dynamics. Those are the big five. And so they get probably 80% of the defense work together. Uh, and it's really difficult to dig in and find smaller or even mid-sized companies. They get gobbled up. And that's not just a coincidence. That was part of a government effort because they felt like, oh, if there's industry consolidation, then these suppliers will streamline their businesses. They'll you know, be more vertically integrated. They'll... they'll it will ease kind of the supply chain. It'll make things and, more streamlined. And hopefully get cheaper prices. Yes, exactly. And it didn't occur to them that that might backfire. That like, oh, maybe they'll just consolidate and have more leverage. And so now we find ourselves in a situation. And by the way, the entire time that was going on, these industry-friendly uh, policies, like I said, they were a product of the lobbying by the defense sector. So members of Congress took the checks from these defense contractors as they're wont to do. And then they're going to turn around and complain about the levers that defense contractors have, which they gave them. And another thing that happened, because uh, this came up in the whole 60 Minutes piece about this, it was that the government also laid off thousands of government workers whose job it is to negotiate prices with defense contractors. I was going to say, isn't there a – there's not a contract in there. It's just like, hey, we need – I mean one of the things they mentioned was like, oh, we need this part or whatever, and this is the only company that provides it. Or... Yeah. So, like, speaking of bureaucracy, uh, yeah, there is an entire, uh, and I know this, I'm really, really familiar with this job because my wife does it. She is a contracting officer for the U.S. Army. She works at the Aberdeen Proving Ground. And so her whole job and the job of all of her friends and people like her is they negotiate with defense contractors on these deals. So there are teams of people out there doing this. And that's even how they know that, that they were being price gouged is because they investigated it. They're like, well, why are we paying this much for this? And they, they kind of do this stuff. And, like, uh, that's a thing. And they just laid them all off. Yeah, so how – I mean, it, if there really is only one supplier, like, how can you even negotiate? Right, and a lot of it's murky. I mean, if, if they're going to tell you a missile costs this – how are you going to be in position to say, well, no, it doesn't? Yeah. You know, it, it takes a lot, and it, it becomes – you get into that issue, you would only know if there's a competitor that goes, we can sell you a missile that does the same thing for less. But if there's only, you know, five, and they're all basically in cahoots with each other, and they all hang out, and they all go, well, we're charging the government this, they go, great idea. <laughs> like, we'll start charging the government that too, you know? And this is why, like, with Raytheon in particular, it's like, yeah, so you're, you're overcharging. Maybe that's why the revenue was up 10% last quarter. You know, maybe that's why their earnings are up. Maybe that's why they've paid dividends every year going back to 1936, okay? So the money's there, and, you know, the government is – they're going to pay it 
because, again, they're always going to want the latest and greatest stuff. They're always going to want the technology. They're always going to want to look strong. They're always going to want to, uh, like I said, reinforce those job chains that exist. Uh, in, you know, again, not just in terms of propping up commercial work, putting planes together, putting aircraft carriers together, putting this stuff together, all that manpower, all those jobs, but then the entire government bureaucracy that then goes and orders those things and does the analysis of those things, and all these jobs in the, the Pentagon, these government workers. Because you start cutting the defense budget, well, guess what? You start cutting them too. I mean, the defense budget doesn't all go to missiles. It goes to employees. It goes to people. And they want to protect their constituencies. And so that's what they're going to do ultimately. And that's why all of this stuff about price gouging, it's like, yeah, one, have you been in America recently? And like, what makes you think you're special? And two, you're not going to do anything about it. You're not going to do anything about it. You're going to maybe at best, instead of raising the defense budget 3% next year, we're going to raise it 1%. So it's still going to increase, but not as much as it would have. And then it's going to go right back up to the trillion dollars I was talking about, probably by the fiscal year 2025. Is there a particular sector within the defense sector or budget now that you see as like the biggest growth opportunity? Yeah. So those stocks that I've been making the most hay with recently are all AI and like drones, and they're very connected. And so I've been talking about them a lot. And so I can tell you, like in a lot of people with AI, one of the big stocks people talk about is C3 AI. And I, I invested in that stock. I got people into that stock last August for like less than 15 bucks a share. It was still kind of, AI hadn't hit as a trend yet. And what they were doing is uh, preventative maintenance. Mm -hmm. So uh, they would, like especially with the Air Force, they could predict when a certain subsystem would fail and have those parts ready to either replace them before they fail or know what's coming up and they could have better fleet readiness. And so that's how I found them. They also do a lot of other similar kind of stuff just with AI. They have big partners like Google and uh, I think Amazon. So they have major partnerships with this stuff. But that stock's also been hugely volatile for just that reason. Uh, I sold it first a couple months ago for like 130% gain. And then I sat here on this podcast with Luke Burgess, and I said, if it falls back down to 20, I'm buying back in. And it did. It went back down to 1750. We bought back in. Earlier this week, it was up over $40 per share. So we were on, like, we were sitting on like 160% gain. It's down today uh, and this week, uh, the latter half of this week, because it reported earnings and it didn't like blow anyone's mind. Earnings right. went up. Revenue went up. Earnings per share went up. But people's expectations now for this technology are so high that the market got ahead of itself, so it sank back down. Well, we had NVIDIA come out and say, oh, like, you, you know, just become a trillion-dollar company, and they're, like, raised their sales projections, like, up right. 60%. So that was a few days prior, so I think people that's are like, exactly oh, what happened. here's another AI play. Yes. I want this to do the same thing. And that's the thing. Yeah, people are getting really gully with it. And so, like I said, we're, st I, we're still up on that stock, obviously. I think it's like just now in, like, the 30s, so it's, I'm still sitting on, like, a double and I, over the course of a month. But I always tell people, I'm like, buy it under 25. Don't get it now. Don't get it over 30. I don't know if it's going to drop down to 17.50 again, which is why I didn't sell it for the game, because I looked at it, and I'm looking at it, it's over $40 per share. I'm like, I don't know if this stock's going to see $17 again in you know the short term, so we might as well just hold it now and see if we can do better, because I, I already cashed in 130% on it once. Like, I, You could just keep 
going back to the bank on that. Uh, but I, I'd rather see what the company does from here and where the growth is. Because, like, like I said, what they're doing for the Air Force, they can apply that to other branches of the military. You can do the same thing with tanks. You can, do, you can apply AI to kind of so many things in terms of optimizing your manpower and, like, where to deploy troops and how to deploy them and kind of, like, where are you, how are you being effective with what equipment? You know, what kind of results are you getting? And so another a company similar to that is Palantir. That's a company I've been talking about for a long time. It's up 90% or maybe even fully doubled in the past month uh, because they just turned in their second quarter of profitability, which was a huge step for them. And the first quarter of this year was the first year they reported a net profit. A lot of people were like, you know, because you do get these companies, they, they sound good. The products sound fun. The technology, it's like it's all promises, but they never turn profitable. Right. Palantir turned profitable this year, and then it stacked a second quarter on top of that, and then they gave their outlook for this year, which was better than they expected. They too pivoted even harder into AI, and so Palantir has always been interesting to me. That's one I found because I mean they would they would do a lot of stuff for the government. They work with the Department of Homeland Security to track. Uh, illegal immigrants. They work with, uh, like, Customs Border Patrol. They work with the FBI. They allegedly helped find Osama bin Laden back when, before it went public. Uh, it was founded by Peter Thiel. Uh, and then, but they've been huge. They've been having a ton of success in Ukraine. This is what really got that, like, that company kind of back in the conversation is because the work they're doing in Ukraine with AI and, like, basically they're collecting all this satellite data and synthesizing it together to give Ukrainian soldiers like real time, you know, imaging of Russian positions and letting them target right there on a tablet and even deploy munitions right there basically on a tablet. Like they're basically dialing up drone strikes on a you know, on an iPad. And who's paying for that? <laughs> well, we are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, and that, that spending's outside of the defense budget. Uh, that's like, yeah, a separate thing. That's that they... a whole separate thing. All those, those billions of dollars we've been sending to Ukraine, I've even, I've lost track of how much, I had a counter on how much we were sending it. I, I, I think I stopped counting after we got over like $30 billion in aid over there. But that was very successful. And like, but one of the things about secret stockpiles, right, it's that, this is all great military technology, but can you commercialize it? Because that's where you really become something. You know, like you can be a, a niche military supplier and you can make, you can eke out a good living for yourself like that. But one of the like questions about Palantir specifically was always like, okay, you guys have all these government contracts, but can you get into the commercial space? And now you're seeing AI get there too. And so with Palantir in particular, they just signed a deal with a, a fashion company, a fashion retailer called uh, CNA Modus. They're based in Brazil, and they're basically using the same technology that is being used, you know, in war fight, fighting in Ukraine. They're using it to track their inventory and find out, like, what's selling the most, what's not selling, and then proactively get inventory into the stores because they know what's you know what's what's actually working and what's not and they're using that to adjust their business models and you're going to see more of that in the real world in terms of like using the technology to draw actionable insights from information and that's always been palantir's bag it's always been everybody's got information 
the government government agencies collect volumes and volumes and volumes of, of information even advertisers retailers they all have this information they're all you know tracking your phone stuff you know you they all have cookies on their web browser they have all this information what are you going to do with it though like yeah you know this but what what's there how are you going to respond to it how are you going to use it to increase your profitability and now with these ai models you're able to do that. You're able to punch that data in and go, what can you tell me about this? What, 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 what does the data really say here? And then you can actually increase your profitability or kill a Russian tank battalion. You know, <laughs> like you can, you can do either. Uh, so that's, that's been the major growth sector that I've been focusing. I would say that and drones certainly in general. Um, that's ob- uh, that it- yeah, it seems like every day we're hearing stuff about drone activity or getting videos of drones yeah. doing shit over yeah. in Ukraine yeah. and, and Russia. Well, I mean, that's the thing. They're cheap and they're expendable, okay? So it's like you have multi-billion dollar weapons platforms, whether it's an F-35 or an M1 Abrams, and the, billions of dollars get put into these things. You have a drone. It costs five million dollars. You send it over. It, does, it gets the job done, and you don't. There's no pilot. You don't have to worry about sending a flag home to a mom. Like you can just get this stuff out here. You can crank it out really cheaply. One of the guys in Ukraine said, "You know, if we had more drones, we could win this war tomorrow." Like that's just it. It's just a matter of at this point getting supplies. It's just you. We can't build them fast enough. But yeah, it was also earlier this week, and for a while now they've been talking about this counteroffensive that Ukraine's going to launch because there was this lull in fighting o- over the winter and then there was a Russian offensive that really didn't accomplish much and then it was like this long planned Ukrainian counteroffensive which is going to make use of all these tanks that we've been sending them it was a big deal they got the leopard tanks from Europe they got some M1 Abrams they've been training on these platforms now they got to go use them and take their country back um and I think we're getting close to that point with the counteroffensive because there have been all these drone attacks on Russian soil. They they literally sent eight drones to Moscow uh, on Monday, and they didn't they, they they got past Russia's border defenses, so they got to basically like kind of like the ritzy suburbs of Moscow where a lot of even like politicians live, and they did get they shot down like five of them, and then used basically electronic warfare to disable and disorient the other three. Well, they still crashed into stuff. They still crashed into apartment buildings. They still landed on the street, you know. They launched two drone attacks against Russian oil refineries. They're starting to go after their energy, which is, if you really want to hit Russia, hit them in their oil production. You know, that that that's all they have. That's their only lifeline so far throughout this whole thing. It's been sending oil to China and, you know, the Middle East and whoever will have it uh, to skirt the sanctions. And then, you know, also not to say they, they can't even fuel their vehicles, right? So you have these kind of attacks now that are just drone attacks deep in Russian territory. Uh, and again, that's, that's all drone stuff. You know, you don't need to send a, a MiG or an F-16. You don't need to do all this stuff. You can send the drones. Does it look like there's an end in sight for that conflict? Maybe. Uh, you know, it, depending on how the counteroffensive from Ukraine plays out, it's just so difficult because, you know, if if Putin loses, he's done, you know. Uh, I, I don't, like, I just, I don't really know how he can stay in power 
with something with a mistake this big. I don't know how you can admit defeat if you're Russia. And they they are losing and they have been losing and they're not going to get anywhere near what they were hoping for out of this entire thing. And so now like their only move is to try to wait us out. What they want to do is wait until because there are some people we're talking about the the leftists in in the government that are against defense spending, but there are people on the right too that have been for whatever reason, I'm not going to speculate as to why, but for some reason against Ukraine and pro-Russia, those people exist. And I think, you know, they really want to wait to see, like, the the dream for Vladimir Putin would be to get Trump back in office, you know? Like, that would that would go a long way for him in terms of getting the West to back off its armed supplies. Uh, yeah, because it's not even, I mean, it's basically, we're in a war with Russia. Oh, yeah, 100%. We just aren't it's a proxy using, war. Yeah, yeah, we just aren't using, uh, well, it sounds like that leaked document said there are some special forces there. In are there are special forces. There always have been. But yeah. they're direct, so the technology and the equipment and the money to pay for it is all coming from the u.s yes and we're basically and we're telling them like hey so it's basically we're just like we're not pressing the button but we're like hey we're doing press that button but. yeah we're loading the gun cocking it and hand it to them and going <laughs> and telling them who to point it at <laughs> yeah exactly we, we've been giving them obviously information satellite information all kinds of information about uh you know uh russian troop positions uh uh Elon Musk Starlink has been providing them with internet connectivity. Uh, we've been training them, uh, Ukrainian soldiers. They even had they had Ukrainian soldiers in like Omaha, Nebraska, training on American weaponry. We have them in Poland. We have them. We're bringing these guys out of the country to train them, and then sending them back in, teaching them how to you know know, once they have known these weapons. And by all reports, they're very fast learners. So you know they're going out there, and it is it is a hundred percent a proxy war. It's one I personally believe is worth fighting. I think, you know, it's been a tremendous success from that perspective to see, you know, Russia undercut the way it's been and not have to expend a single American life about it. Uh, You know, if it's just money and guns, we got plenty of those. You know, this is America, man. Well, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Guns, yes, but money, you know, the money seems to be where that if we if the faucet of money yeah. stops which people aren't happy about spending all this money because it's got to come from somewhere right. and i don't know i wonder um i don't know the math on it but if they would have you know not funded you like i don't know maybe it only would have gave us an extra week in the in the debt ceiling uh yeah, <laughs> yeah debate. I mean. but it's like at some point the you know the money is going to dry up or it's other, you know, Americans are going to notice that like, hey, wait a minute, you want to tax me more so that we can fight this yeah, war over there? I don't know that the expenditure on Ukraine in particular is ever going to be that great. I mean, if you look at the actual budget outlays, I mean, we're spending magnitudes more on, you know, Medicare and Social Security right. and and all that stuff. Uh, I, like, I just, I, I don't, I don't I, like, even though I know $30 billion is a big number, uh, but at the same time, in the context of our budget, it's not. Uh, 30 million or 30 billion? billion. Yeah. yeah. Like in the context of the U.S. budget, you know, when you're talking about, a, you know, a trillion, you have a trillion dollars in debt or whatever, you know, more than that even. And it's like, I don't know, like, I just, I, I, yeah, I don't, it, it just, it, it just doesn't really, again, it, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. And it's kind of like, if you talk about, if we do talk about government waste, 
you know, like where can't you find it? You know, it's 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 the same thing. It's, you know, like it's the like same thing as the, the price gouging. You know, it's like if yeah, you want to make a thing of it in this particular instance, sure you can. It's there. The, but it like it's it's everywhere else too. Like there's plenty of government, uh, you know, blow. <laughs> like you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that's that's that would be the only way. And even then, though, uh, to get back just to the question of like how it ends. Uh, at that point, even I, I think it would still just be a bloody stalemate, and that's because <clears throat> Russia, at this point, has kind of expended all of its resources. Uh, it's 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 running low on troops. It already conscripted uh, like three hundred thousand troops, and it's already burning through those guys. And then their tanks, they're down. They're, they've been using Soviet era tanks. They have Soviet planes. It's just all of it's already just. They don't have enough to get anything other than what they currently have. Any notion that, that, like, even if we stopped funding them tomorrow, Russia would not have enough juice to get to Kiev. They just, they don't. And so it would just kind of be a stalemate. But that's also been a kind of thing with the United States, too. It's that we've backed, we've done enough to help Ukraine survive and repel Russia. We haven't done enough to have Ukraine win. Uh, you know, there's still stuff we've been holding back on, uh, longer range missiles or more advanced weapons platforms, F-16s, uh, that we've held back out of fear of antagonizing Russia. Um, if those fears kind of dissipate, because with every new arms shipment, Russia pushes back its own red line. You know that they've been threatening to use nukes, right? This whole time. Well, if you do that, we're gonna we're gonna go nuke. We're gonna go nuclear. You know, and then but they haven't done it, and it doesn't seem like the like the more every day that seems less and less like a plausible threat from them. You know? Well, because it seems like every other week you hear about it, Russian and then, losses you know. and new stuff, yeah. and they say don't send the tanks, and we send the tanks, and nothing happens. So, you know that that could that could push it. Um, Dissent in Russia, Putin literally being toppled, uh, that could happen. And because uh, now we're talking about these drone attacks on Moscow, like this is already an unpopular war. Like not a lot of Russians are going to tell you that because they'll be thrown in jail, but it's not a popular war. Everybody kind of, even, even like Russia's fiercest propagandists struggle to justify this war. And so like for regular people whose sons are going over there and dying constantly into this meat grinder that is the Ukrainian front line right now, there's already a great amount of dissatisfaction with that. I mean, there have been people fleeing the country, obviously, for, you know, to just get out or to avoid being conscripted themselves. Uh, And now the more vulnerable Moscow looks with things like drone attacks, uh, that is... That's going to bring that brings the war right to your doorstep, you know, and that's that's something It was kind of like, you know, when when the U.S. did invade Iraq, if you could imagine, you know, if Iraq started sending drones back and attacking the suburbs of New York City or something, it would be like, whoa, like maybe we shouldn't. What's what's going on here? You know, all of a sudden that, that, that it becomes a reality for you. It's not like we're just sitting on the TV watching our planes. bomb. Well, he something. can't argue that we're winning. Or yeah, that we're crushing those, <laughs> yeah. uh, those no. in there. Like, wait a minute. It seems like they're getting closer <laughs> yeah, to us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so it's unpopular. And now it, it could get very unpopular, and it, it depends on how long. Like, like Vladimir Putin is basically kept in power by this group of oligarchs, you know. And 
he's been able to get very far and have a really tight grip on that country because he's been able to make them money. He's been able to keep them wealthy and expand their wealth. And, you know, it's a kleptocracy is all it is. And if those guys turn on him or if they start telling him things he just doesn't want to hear and gets rid of them, you know, and it gets to a point where he is just kind of, you know, this this lone madman or I, it would depend on if, say, he he decides out of desperation, I am going to do it. I am going to nuke Ukraine. Are there going to be people that go, no? You know, yeah. are there going to be people in the Kremlin that well, go, they, we're not going to go that far? Well, and he doesn't. They don't. They want Ukraine. They don't want to nuke it exactly, exactly. <laughs> into a wasteland. Yeah, like I said, it would be like if the United States dropped a nuke on Mexico. Like, like you know, your neighbors, right? They're, it's going to blow back. It's going to like depending on which way the wind's going. Like this could be bad for you too. And what good is it going to do for you to basically take the territory that now is just a radioactive gravesite? You know, like what is the that would have to be basically he's a he's he's a lunatic. Exactly. He's like, I'm taking you all down. With exactly. Me. It's just kind of like the only way he could see to to bring in an end to the war and saving face, any kind of face would be to do something so horrendous that, you know, it, 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 it leverages that that ceasefire deal into place and they can try to lock what, you know, little territory they have left of, of Ukraine down, maybe keep Crimea or whatever. Uh, and just try to freeze it because at this point, like I said, they don't they don't have enough power to do anything more than cling desperately to what they have and are fast losing. So I think you know any kind of dissent in the Kremlin, if if people looked at that, and also if they did if they did go nuclear, the repercussions I think from the West would just be severe. I mean, and I think even then they. There have been points where you can even have seen a little bit of fracturing, a little bit of space in the kind of Russia-China relationship. Um, like China goes along with this because it's good for them to have a hostile Russia, you know, buffering them in Europe and the West and to keep them occupied. And if we have to worry about the Black Sea, that's, you know, fewer resources we have to send to the Pacific. Uh, but even they are kind of like, this didn't go the way you planned. This has really backfired. This is getting ugly. It's it's, and at some point it becomes too costly to even be associated with Russia. And I think if they they went you know and launched a tactical nuclear weapon, I think even their friends, even China, would probably step back and go that <laughs> you know we didn't sign up for all that. Uh, and then Russia would would really be alone because like I said, their only lifeline throughout the economic sanctions has been these other kind of you know pariah states that are willing to navigate around them and negotiate around them. And so if they even lost that, then I think they they they'd be out of everything. You, you just you lose everything at that point. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. So, all right. Well, I think uh, it's time to wrap up here. You want to tell people how they can join Secret Stockpiles? I will put a we'll put a link in put the description. Put a link in. Make it easy on them. Yeah, we'll put it right in the description. Um, and we would be curious to hear your comments, even if it's about you know which Jason you like better. Even if, even if they're hurtful. Yeah, even if they're hurtful, <laughs> bring it on. We love to hear your comments. I don't mind. And yeah, like and subscribe, and we will see you soon. Thanks. Thanks.